I don't have a Mother's Day sermon, and so I wanted to acknowledge mothers this morning, and so I have a little video clip. I don't know how many of you have heard of Anita Renfro. She made her debut on Facebook, uh, not on Facebook, on YouTube, and uh, has been since on Oprah Winfrey and Good Morning America and Dr. Phil. She's a Christian, and she uh, attends and uh, is at many women's seminars and so on. And so you have to listen quickly, and you'll know what I'm saying, meaning when I'm saying that. Uh, listen quickly to what she says, and moms, this is for you. It's on YouTube under Anita Renfro Mumisms. There's a second one, and uh, there's even a better one for dads. <laughs> I'm not sure that they'll do it. You don't want to offend the fathers. I want you to know that the message for this morning came as a real surprise to me because it wasn't the direction I started in. I began this being Mother's Day to... Uh, take a look at the life of Hannah, not Montana. Um, <laughs> Hannah was a godly woman in the scriptures in a very difficult situation. She was married to a godly man named Elkanah. Hannah Elkanah. <laughs> named named uh, Elkanah. And they were very much in love. It could be a, a love story, except for the fact that Hannah was unable to have children. And because of this, she was so grieved deeply, and especially because then her husband married someone else at the same time, and she had lots of children by him. And this second woman took great delight in harassing Hannah. In, she was merciless and, and really very cruel in her taunting of her because she didn't have any children. So you can understand that for Hannah it wasn't a great situation to be living in and there would be lots of things going on in the family, the dynamics of it that were just so unpleasant for her. Once a year, the men of Israel were required to travel to Shiloh where the tabernacle and the ark were kept. Now that's not the Noah's ark. This was, uh, I'll describe it in a few minutes for you, but it's not Noah's ark. And uh, the women weren't obliged to go, but they could go. And so Hannah had decided that she was going to go this year with her husband. And I couldn't help but wonder why she would make that travel, why she wouldn't just pray at home. She was a godly woman. And the reason was that because the ark being in the tabernacle, the people of Israel believed that that was the very presence of God. And, and no doubt Hannah thought that if she went to Shiloh, that she would be that much closer to God's presence and perhaps her prayer would be heard. And what was her prayer for? She had prayed for a son. She would pray for a son, and she would promise God that if he would give her this son, that she would give him back to God to serve him for the rest of his life. And God heard her prayer, and he answered, and she had a son whom she called Samuel. And Samuel 
true to her promise, was taken to the temple where he did serve. And he was one of the, well, he was the first prophet of God, great prophet of God, and uh, beloved by the people. And so I thought that would make a good sermon. However, uh, I confess at this stage of my life that I didn't know very much about the tabernacle and the ark. And as I told the earlier service, I had never even watched any Indiana Jones movies, so I couldn't even get any help there. And so I decided I needed to do some research. Now you'll remember that Moses was the person that God used in order to deliver the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt uh, and had given them a promise that he would direct them and guide them to the promised land, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. But before they actually got to that promised land, they had a long journey through the wilderness. And during that time in the wilderness, we're told that at one point God summoned Moses up on Mount Sinai And while he was up there, that's where he gave him the Ten Commandments to take to the people. And he told uh, Moses a very amazing thing. He told Moses that he, he wanted to come and dwell among the people. Now, how personal a God is that? That his desire, this God who created the universe and, and everything that's in it, that his desire would be that he could come and dwell with people. He gave very specific instructions about building an ark and how it was to be housed. The ark was to be taken everywhere with them, to be the place where God would meet with them and be the center of their worship and their sacrifices. Moses and the people carried out the instructions to the letter, just as God had told them to. Now, the ark itself was a wooden chest, It was um, lined inside and out with pure gold. And on top, covering it, was to be the mercy seat, also covered with gold and with a cherubim at each end of it, uh, carved, I guess, and then overladen with, uh, with gold. And they were to have their wings outspread. The detail is amazing. They were to have their wings Uh, spread up and overshadowing the ark and to be looking sort of down and toward each other and enthroned between these two cherubim would be the presence of God himself. Once a year, the priest, the high priest only, could enter into the Holy of Holies where the ark was located because in the tabernacle that housed it, there was two sections and divided by like a heavy curtain known as the veil. And only, only the high priest could go in behind that veil to the Holy of Holies and offer the sacrifices of the people. And once a year he would go in there and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people. It's interesting that the ark had the two tablets of stone in it. That was all that was in it. And to me, it was a wonderful picture of the blood covering the sins of the people because in that ark was, of course, the thing spelled out of everything that they had broken, all the laws they had broken and so on. Now, there appears to be no question 
about the fact that Israel believed that the ark was connected with Jehovah and his presence and his power. And as a result, the feeling was that when they were near the ark, they were in a very special way in God's presence. Now, I want to take you for a few minutes and share with you about four people, just short bits about their lives that will help illustrate to us the significance to the people of the presence of God in the ark. Now, first of all, I mentioned Moses, who had received the instructions and saw that the ark was built exactly to the specifications that had been given by God. In the ark, they placed the two tablets on which were the Ten Commandments. And what a, what a great picture, again, a spiritual picture of God, uh, that through these commandments we see how the Lord made known to his people his very ethical nature and character. In Exodus 33:15, it's recorded that Moses spoke to God. Actually, it came out of God being angry at the people and just sort of saying, okay, you make your way to the promised land. And Moses uh, says to him, if your presence doesn't go up with us, do not send us from here. And the Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Now, in doing this, Moses was humbly confessing his need for God and for his direction and guidance. And that if God's presence wasn't going to go, they weren't going to go either. He was not going to proceed in his own strength and his own wisdom. And this is such a wonderful picture for us of God's presence leading in the daily lives of his people. His assurance that, as Proverbs 3, 6 says, that if we acknowledge him in all our ways, he'll direct our paths. And so we need to understand from this the necessity for each and every one of us daily to ensure that God's presence goes with us, that we shouldn't be getting up in the morning without inviting his presence, that if we have a job interview before we go, we ought to pray that, God, if this is the direction you want me to go and if this is good for me and pleasing to you, then let your presence go with me and help me to find favor with the interviewer. Or maybe there's exams. And uh, and you say, God, I need you to go with me to my exams today and bring to my remembrance the things that I have studied. And as I emphasized in the first service, young people that still write exams here, that uh, it, I said that I've studied because God is not going to go and help you with the exam if you haven't studied. He'll bring to your remembrance what you need to know if you, if you have his presence with you, but he's not going to be standing there saying, now question one, check this, question two. So if you study and be faithful with what you're to do, God will do what he can do. And those of you that are dating and going to date, you need to ask God's presence to be coming along with you on your dates. For where the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, and you need to acknowledge that. And you need to ask God to go with you. And who are you going to marry? God, I think I know best who's the right one for me. Won't be the first person to say that. But if you want God's blessing on your life and he knows what's the best for you, you need to be committing these things to the Lord 
and asking for his guidance and his help. And you need to be daily asking for his presence to be with you, to help you with those things. Going to the doctor's office, a little bit afraid of what the outcome might be. Take the Lord along with you. Have his presence there to comfort you. And you'll find that he's faithful. Now, one of the things, the situations that the children of Israel found in their journey is just as they were getting to the promised land, they could see it. They could just be so excited at the fact that they were going to be there after all these wanderings and so on. But they had the Jordan River in their way. And normally the Jordan River isn't very wide, perhaps about a 100 feet. But in the spring, it's flood season. And the commentators say that the river could have been up to a mile wide. And so you can imagine their disappointment when they got there, and this is what they were going to have to cross. And I don't know about you, what you went and saw this spring in rural Manitoba or in the city, I just remember driving along Waterfront Drive, and uh, the river was flowing so quickly and uh, so swollen over the banks of the red that uh, it was a formidable thing to see. But God told them, that told Joshua, that you need to cross this, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to send the priests first carrying the ark, And then as they carry it, as their feet go into the water, the waters will stand back and let you cross. Let the priests stand in the middle of the Jordan until everyone is safely across. And then you can go and follow them, and then the waters will come back over. Now, this is a real test of faith. Because if I saw those waters of the red this spring, there's no way you would have got me going and putting my feet in it on some idea that I was the waters were going to part when I did that. So it was a test of faith just before they entered the promised land. And so the priests did what the instructions were from God. They started to go into the water, and as they did, the waters parted. We read in Joshua 3.16 that the water from upstream stopped flowing, and it piled up in a great heap about a, well, a distance away. And the priests stood firm on dry ground until everyone had crossed. And then when they came up out of the the dry bed, then the waters began to flow again. Now that miracle undoubtedly reminded them of the crossing of the Red Sea when they left Egypt and reaffirmed to them the truth that where the presence of God is, there's deliverance and safety in the midst of even challenging circumstances. To me, it says that throughout our lives, we'll continue to face challenges that test our faith, and we need to rely upon the promises of God because he's faithful and will lead us, and we can trust him. Secondly, there was the battle at Jericho. And all of you, or most of you, I think, will remember about the Battle of Jericho. If you didn't read the book, you heard the song. And i got to tell you that when I started to study about the Battle of Jericho again, all I could think of was Veggie Tales and Josh and the Big Wall. It was my favorite Veggie Tales movie. It's wasted on kids. 
Um, if you, any of your kids have them, make sure you watch it because uh, the, the humor in it, well, maybe I just have a weird sense of humor, but I love it. My favorite part is where the French peas, with their wonderful accents, throw grape slushies down on the children of Israel, the veggies. And, uh, and that just cracks me up every time. Well, in this case, Joshua was given specific instructions because Jericho was a large wall, uh, walled city, and not going to be easy to conquer. And so God told them that they were to do something very strange. And I'm sure that many of you who have been walking with God for a while have had God ask you to do strange things. And he told Joshua to get the whole nation. There's got to be like between one and two million people here. We're not talking about a little town somewhere. We're talking about a whole nation of people and all their cattle and everything else. And, And God told them, you take the ark with you. And you march around the city once every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, you march around it seven times. And try not to be annoyed by the slushies coming down on you from time to time. No, it doesn't say that. Um, But you just be faithful and do this. And as they did it, the seventh time around on the seventh day, uh, they blew their shofar horns and, and shouted as God had instructed them to do. And the walls, yes, came tumbling down. You know it. You know it. And so God demonstrated to Israel and to all the nations that were round about that he was a God of power. And where his presence was, uh, they could depend upon him to fight their victories, to bring them to victory. All of us have had battles. We need to understand God's promises and his willingness to go with us if we ask. It doesn't say they were spared the battle, but he goes with us through it. Joshua learned a very important lesson, though, because after this great, great victory, when the next battle came along, he felt that he didn't need to inquire of God. He felt that he was going to do okay with this one, and he just gathered his men together and said, you know, got their strategies and what they were going to do. And they were defeated. They were humiliated. It was such a terrible, terrible defeat because they had not inquired about the Lord. And, yes, they took the ark with them, but if God's presence wasn't there with them, If this wasn't his direction, then it was nothing but a piece of furniture. And so he learned a lesson that day about needing to have God's presence with him, not going on his own strength and wisdom. Then there was Obed-Edom and his experience with the ark. After the death of King Saul, David was made king. And David wanted to bring the ark from one of the remote towns to Jerusalem, the city of David. And he too failed to inquire of the Lord and get his uh, okay with it and know that God was going with him. And he forgot that there were very strict rules about the ark and how you handle it. And so he, he took some people with him And they got the ark and they put it on a new cart that was going to be 
taken by oxen. And that was against God's directions that the only ones that were to carry the ark were the priests. And he didn't bother. He didn't bother with that. And the fellow, Yuza, who along the way, the ox stumbled and the cart began to waver. And Yuza, as a reflex, I guess, put up his hand to steady it. And he was struck dead right on the spot. And that was David's fault because David should have known that there was very strict instructions about how you treated God's ark. And if you were to touch it, you would die. That was the instructions. But David's enthusiasm to have his dream and have the ark back in Jerusalem and so on did it all in his own wisdom and strength and and somebody died. And, And David was very angry with God because of this. And he didn't want to take the ark any further. He was afraid to. So the ark was taken to this fellow Obed-Edom's place. And while the ark was there, Second Samuel 6.11 tells us that during that time, the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of the Lord. So because God's presence was with him, this fellow experienced great blessings from God. Fourthly, And back to King David. After he had heard of Obed-Edom's experience with the ark, he was excited that that, uh, now he was going to get his instructions straight and go back and get the ark. And so he took some people with him and he made sure the Levites were with him this time. They were the ones that would carry the ark in the way that was prescribed. And... uh, he was able to bring the ark to Jerusalem. It made sense to him because this would be the very center of worship and and everybody would have, uh, it was a central place, everybody would come from around and it would be easier for them to come and worship. So the presence of God in this instance, as David brought the ark back, caused great joy in the 2 Samuel 6.14 tells us that David danced before the Lord with all his might while he and the entire house of Israel brought the ark back to Jerusalem and accompanied by shouts and singing and the sound of trumpets. So the presence of the Lord in this instance meant that there was cause for great joy and singing. And the scripture tells us that. And David found it out that in God's presence there's fullness of joy not a happy hour here and there that you have a headache in the morning. That's not true joy. Being in the presence of God is cause for great joy. And it's uh, in his presence that there's this fullness of joy and at his right hand pleasures forevermore. I said I was going to give you four little vignettes of some of these people, and I should have said five. The presence of God meant guidance, that was Moses, deliverance and victory with Joshua, the blessing of the Lord with Obed-Edom, praise and worship with King David. But also the ark of the Lord meant sacrifice. And that brings us to Jesus. All throughout the times of the wanderings of the children of Israel, through the wilderness and into the promised land, Once a year, the high priest entered, 
past that veil-like curtain which separated the holy place from the holy of holies to where the ark was located in the presence of God. And he sprinkled the blood of the sacrificed animal onto the mercy seat and by so doing atoned for his own sins and the sins of the people. Only the high priest permitted to enter, thereby come into the very presence of God. But these external regulations were carried out year after year. Can you imagine, I tried to imagine this, can you imagine if this was still the way we had to come into the presence of God? Can you imagine with the population of today in this world that it, it would be absolutely impossible for us to come into his presence if it was only the high priest could go and only in Jerusalem where the ark was? And because of that, I mean, think of trying to make reservations from here to Jerusalem with all the people that had to go and do this once a year at the Day of Atonement. It would be impossible. And we'd be getting pelted by tomatoes and stuff from animal rights people who knew about all the sacrifices that were going to have to take place. There wouldn't be enough sheep and goats in this world to do for the sacrifices for the sins of the people. And so it would be impossible that we could be sharing in this today. But God had a better way, a more perfect way. And the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 9 that he, talking about Jesus, did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption Verse 24, for Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest entered the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now, I love that. But now he has appeared once for all to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And when we believe on him and when we accept that he is God's sacrifice for our sins and when we ask for and accept his forgiveness, the good news is that he forgives us and God the Holy Spirit comes to make his dwelling place in us. Several years ago I had the opportunity to visit Israel And I stood at the ruins, which was once Capernaum, at the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And there was tall columns that were stretching up to the sky without any walls or any roof over it. The ruins of what was once a great place of worship. And I stood there and I I just imagined what would have been going on back then was people came to worship God. And it made me think of the large church I was attending at the time, and I thought, if Jesus doesn't come for some time now, I wonder if my church will someday be in ruins like this. And I thought of how temporary everything seemed to be. And it made me very sad. But as I stood there thinking, a scripture came to mind in Acts, where Paul on Mars Hill, speaking to the scholars of the day, 
beside an inscription which read to the unknown God, says to them that God no longer dwells in temples made with hands. And that's right. He dwells in the hearts of believers. And as a chorus we used to sing popped into my head that says, don't you know that you're the temple of God, filled with power, filled with praise, filled with glory. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. And as I was so encouraged, and as I went back to the tour bus, I shared with the people on the bus, and we all sung the chorus together, and it was just a memorable time. Because for me, I realized that even though arks and tabernacles, temples and churches will crumble, I'm going to live forever. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.19 asks, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And as we understand the concept of his presence in our lives, and as we yield ourselves to him, we too can experience all of the things that we've been talking about. God's guidance, his deliverance, victories in our lives in the circumstances and the battles we will face every day, his blessings on us, the ability to experience rich praise and worship wherever we are. It's wonderful to come here together and to worship together, and the scriptures tell us that we're to do that. But you can also know his presence at your job site or at your school or while doing the laundry or walking in the park. You can know his comfort and the comfort of his presence while on a sickbed or beside the gravesite of a loved one. We used to call church buildings the house of God. But like the ark and the temple, this place is only built of wood and concrete unless the presence of God is here. And the only way that that's going to happen is if we are living lives pleasing to him and we invite him to come here with us when we come. And we ask him to open our minds to the truth of the scriptures and to help us to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit will make this real to you so that you too can know and experience his daily presence in your lives. Music became a large part of the lives of the children of Israel. A few weeks ago, the choir sung, and I was thrilled and caught up in the spirit of the singing, and I wanted to get up and join in somehow. But while I didn't do that, I was nonetheless very conscious that the spirit within me was dancing and praising God and allowing me to participate fully in the worship. Now, to close our service this morning, the choir is coming to sing for us. Alec Hippolito has been the choir director for some time now, and this is her last Sunday at Cross Church. She and her husband, Joe, are leaving at the end of the week for Texas, and you have my permission to pray that it will snow there very soon. (laughs) Uh, Joe's been transferred with his job there, And for us, this is a huge loss, but without doubt, a very wonderful gain for some church in Texas who will benefit from their talents and their servant hearts. So Alec and Choir minister to us this morning, and may you 
And we know and sense God's presence as you do. Would you just remain here? And Joe, would you come up with Alec? Uh, we're going to, Pastor Allen's here. He's not been well, but wanted to be here for this part of it for sure. And uh, we just want to have a prayer with you before you go. And choir, you can come up here if you want and just get around about them. And uh, if you get a chance afterwards, come and wish them well. And then Pastor Allen will dismiss the service. I don't want to make anybody sick, so I'm going to I'll keep uh, six inches away. How's that? Uh, first of all, I want to just say um, I remember the first Sunday Joe and Ella came to this church. Um, I was in a series in uh, the Psalms. Uh, it was on. It was called Selah, pausing, taking it, taking a time to pause and to wait on God, and uh, something happened at that service, and it uh, began. The, it was the beginning of a brand new relationship, and uh, over these years we've grown to love you, Alec and Joe, and I've just been so thankful for the way that you've been involved in the church. Um, my uh, mother-in-law, who is. Um, who was here last time the choir sang, said, said that uh, she's been to really all the churches in the city through Bridges for Peace and has heard all the, all the choirs, all the singing groups, and said that uh, our choir is, is any match for any choir in this city. Yeah. And so we're really going to miss that. And uh, uh, just in the last year or so, Alec and I have uh, been able to work together to raise money for missions. And uh, I think, really, uh, Alec, been able to lead the church in this last year to raise over 30000 for the Nipa huts in the Philippines for the homeless is really your crowning achievement. And I just want to say thank you for that as well. And there's, uh, there's so many other ways that Joe and Alec have, have blessed our congregation, and we just want them to know how much we're going to love them how much we're going to miss them. And uh, we'll all be visiting you down in Texas. Uh, so make sure you get a house with lots of spare rooms, okay? <laughs> so uh, let's just uh, uh, maybe stand together. And uh, if you would just uh, reach your hand out toward Joe and Alec, and we're going to pray for them right now. Father, we just want to say thank you right now for this this dear, dear brother and sister. We thank you, Father, for their faithfulness to you the faithfulness to their family, for their faithfulness to this church family. We thank you, God, for using them in this place, in this church. We thank you, Lord. And as we, as we talk about the great things that have happened over the years, uh, Lord, we, we uh, say at the end of it all, to God be the glory, great things he has done. And we know that Joe and Ella could want you to have all the glory of Father. And so, Father, as they go down to, uh, to Texas, we pray that you keep your hand upon them. We pray that you give them uh, traveling mercies. We pray that their every need would be met. We pray, Father, that they would just find a church family and a home and, uh, and that you would especially be near to them and that they would be able to testify to your goodness, to your faithfulness, and to the fact that you have stuck uh, close to them and you provided for them and met their every need. So we just commit them to you now in Jesus' name. And, Father, as we close the service now, we pray a special blessing upon our mothers. We pray, Father, that each one would know your blessing and your strength. And we thank you for the word this morning. We pray, Father, that our hearts would be filled with joy. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me.
Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. But if you want to take a moment, come and say hi to Joe and Alec before you go.